You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. The word and is a pretty good word. It uh, serves some pretty good functions. It combines things, puts them together, and sometimes it puts together some really good things. Uh, we can think about steak and potatoes. Steak is really good, potatoes are good, but put them together, it gets even better. One of my favorites, or I guess my absolute favorite, is blackberry cobbler and vanilla ice cream. I love blackberry cobbler, and you give me blackberry cobbler by itself, I'm good, I am content, I am happy. You give me vanilla ice cream by myself, by itself, and I'm good, I'm perfectly fine, but you put them together and I lose all sense of self-control. I go until I hurt myself or make myself sick and polish off the panda cobbler and the carton of ice cream because putting them together just makes them so much better. So I really like the word and. Some things, however, should not be combined. For instance, I know that there are some in our congregation who need to repent. There are some in our congregation who have fallen by the wayside, who have committed atrocities such as putting ketchup on the ribeye steak. And uh, if you have done that and need to come, and I can pray for you, help you intercede for you, (laughs) Ah, to each his own, I guess. But for me, and doesn't belong there. And you may have your things where and doesn't belong, like pineapple on your pizza, pizza and pineapple. No, no, no. But whatever bugs you or makes you think, oh, that's gross, or I wouldn't want that, or you've ruined something perfectly good, when it comes to our taste buds, eh. Overall, not the most important thing in the world. But there is a most important thing in the world, and if we put and with it, we have made a grievous mistake. This word, Jesus, is the best word that ever was. The, best, the greatest name that ever was. And if we make it Jesus and, I don't care what word comes next. We've already made a mistake. Jesus is so high, so great, so perfect, that to add and is to diminish that perfection. Diminish his lordship, his kingship. Diminish his very salvation, which he gives to us and shares with us, that Jesus and doesn't work. Especially whenever we are talking about what we need or what people need for salvation. That if we say, well, to be saved, you need Jesus and... uh, We've already messed up. And we've actually degraded, diminished, even forfeited the very salvation we're trying to get. The book of Galatians that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia, show us just how dangerous Jesus and is. And when Paul writes this book, 
It is one of the books that he is most passionately pouring himself into. You read the words and you see that he's, he's upset. He's angry. He is shocked. How could you let this happen? How could you take the beautiful, wonderful name of our Lord and diminish it? How can you take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and tarnish it, degrade it, even make it wholly unproductive? Paul writes this letter to the churches in Galatia, a region, a province of the Roman Empire. And he says, I came and I preached to you. And I taught you the simple truth that Jesus is your salvation. And yet now, you've traded that in. You've traded that in for Jesus and. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6. I am astonished, I am shocked, Paul says, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, by the grace of Jesus, and are following a different gospel. Not that there really is another gospel. There's only one gospel. There's only one truly good news that is your salvation. So any other gospel would be a pretending gospel, a off-brand gospel, or a imposter gospel. No, not really a gospel. So I said, you, you're following a different gospel, but there's no gospel at all. And there are some who are disturbing you and wanting to distort the gospel of Christ. And here's the thing that we're going to get into these next weeks in August as we talk about Jesus and. The church in Galatia did not walk away from Jesus. They did not say, well, uh, here's the gospel of Jesus, and somebody comes in and says, well, let me tell you a completely different gospel about another God and another Savior, and just trade up, or stop following Jesus, start following this. That is not what was happening. What had happened was, and what we're going to see unfold in the book of Galatians, is Paul outlines his distress for them and says, how in the world could you have done this? We're going to see that what they've done is simply taken Jesus and let somebody come in and try to add just a little bit to it. People came from the Jews, from Jerusalem, Jewish Christians who followed Jesus, but they came to the Gentiles and they said, eh, you're not quite as good as you can be. You've got Jesus. That's great. Good for you. Paul taught you about Jesus. All right. Let me tell you a little bit more. That in order to truly please God, you need Jesus and... And there's a few things that is the and of Galatians, but most of them revolve around becoming more Jewish adopting more Jewish customs and lifestyles and following Jewish regulations and living up to Jewish expectations. And the thing is, there's not a problem being Jewish, not at all. Jesus was a Jew. Paul himself was a Jew, the one writing this letter. But he emphatically tells 
the Galatians, who are Gentiles, like most of us, we are non-Jew, that makes you a Gentile. Paul is telling these Gentile churches, don't you dare let them tell you you have to become a Jew, because all you need is Jesus. And if you try to find salvation in any other way, even if it's just Jesus and, because again, these teachers weren't coming and saying, get rid of Jesus and just be Jew. No, they were saying, well, it'd be best, best of both worlds, be Jesus and adopt the Jewish culture, customs, and religion. And Paul says, you do that, you diminish Jesus himself. And if you do that, you've lost your salvation. It's that serious. Imagine you're in a burning building and you are doomed. There is no way for you to get out of this burning building. But a fireman, a firewoman, or a fire person, who, who, they, they come to your rescue. They use their axe and they knock a hole in the wall to get into, and they, they're wearing their full suit where the flames can't get them, and the smoke, and they can breathe. You, you are on death's door. You are utterly helpless. And they come in, and they scoop you up. It's a big, strong fireman, and even like a guy like me could just scoop me up and starts walking me out to, to rescue me, to save me. And then I say, wait, 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 fireman. Thanks for all your help, and you're great and all, but uh, I want to do a little. Put me down. Let, let me hobble. And let's say maybe I've got a broken leg or something, a burned leg, injured leg. And so all I can do is hobble very, very slowly. And fireman naturally would say, uh, no, <laughs> I can get you out faster than you trying to help me get you out yourself. Appreciate the thought, but I need to get you out of this building, and I'm going to do it. But then I keep arguing. I say, no, no, let me do it. I want to, I want to, I don't, you don't want, you have to do it all. I need to do a little bit too. Let me help you out. And the thing is, the fireman, by allowing me to help him out, let's say he sets me down, all right, and tries to slowly then hobble me out the door, I am putting... I am diminishing his saving work. And I'm actually jeopardizing him as well. This burning building is coming down. And we need to get out as fast as possible. And he has the power to do it by me helping him. I'm actually slowing him down. I'm making his job harder. I'm making him a less effective fireman. Because he needs to get me out of the building and then come in and get somebody else or... I, I'm, I'm messing up the system. And Jesus is our Savior. He is strong enough to save us. He is powerful enough to save us. He is perfect enough to save us. And Jesus doesn't need anybody's help. Jesus doesn't need an and. And as a matter of fact, the and makes him weaker. The and inhibits what he can do. The and makes his saving grace less. Because if Jesus isn't 
quite strong enough to save us and needs an end, then he's no savior at all. And what we need in this burning building of a world that's coming down around us, not just 2020, but just a whole fallen, sinful world we live in, that is utterly destroying itself day after day by not turning to our Creator, but rather living in our own sin and selfishness. We need out of this place. And we can't get out of it on our own because we built this place. We're part of the problem. So Jesus says, trust me. Let me rescue you. I don't need your help. I don't need you to add something to what I'm doing. Just let me do it. And you trust me. Further down in Galatians chapter 2, Paul recounts an episode. He was preaching, and he was at a church, things were going well, and Peter, the Apostle Peter, the most prominent of the apostles, but whom Paul says he doesn't have any more authority than I do. We got our authority from the same place. We got it from Jesus. But Peter comes up, and he sees the Gentiles becoming a part of the church. He sees the Gentiles accepting Jesus as their Lord, as their King, as their Savior. He sees them worshiping and living and goes, wow, Paul, this is great. And, and, and he celebrates with them and they eat their meals together. And, and Peter sits down at the table with all these other Gentile Christians and he just, oh, soaking it up. Paul said, but then some other guys came. Some more uptight guys, you could say. They came up from Jerusalem. And they got there and they still... I had a problem with this eating with Gentiles thing. Because being raised as a Jew, one of the things that is ingrained in you is you don't sit at the table with non-Jews. Because non-Jews are unclean. And a big part of the Jewish religion is being clean. And so to sit and to share a meal with them makes you unclean. So no, Gentiles over there, Jews over there, it's the way it's supposed to be. And so these other guys came in. Chapter 2. Paul says in verse 11, I opposed him to his face. He's talking about Cephas, Peter. I opposed him to his face because he had clearly done wrong until certain people came from James, one of the other apostles in Jerusalem, who Paul has already said, James extended me the right hand of fellowship, but when these guys from James came, and maybe they just said they were from James, or whether really from James, I don't know, but they definitely had much stronger ideas about their Jewish faith and how it needed to be followed. And until before they came, he had been eating with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he stopped doing this and separated himself because he was afraid of those who were pro-circumcision. That's what so much of this book's about, the circumcision issue especially. That was the line that separated Jews from Gentiles. And the rest of the Jews that were part of that church and were with him also joined with him in this hypocrisy, even Barnabas, Paul's friend, son of encouragement. Even Barnabas was led astray 
with them by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not behaving consistently with the truth of the gospel, Paul said, I said to Cephas in front of them all, I told Peter, if you, although you were a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you try to force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And that's kind of the springboard where he goes for the rest of the book, rest of this letter that he's writing to these churches in Galatia. And Peter had a Jesus and. He, he, he didn't start out that way. Peter was the first one to baptize a Gentile. Cornelius, way back in the book of Acts, Peter was the, the first Jew to go into a Gentile's house, eat with them, kind of like he's doing here, and then preach to them and say, well, if God accepts them, so do I. It's a beautiful part of the book of Acts. When Peter realizes God is no respecter of persons, he wants Jew and Gentile. And so P Peter knew this and had taught it and even had participated in this ministry. But yet some of his old buddies put a little bit of pressure on him. Peter, you're not eating with Gentiles, are you? Come on, Peter. He's like, oh, no, 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 it wasn't me. I want this table. You guys want to join me at this table? Yeah, you know, Gentiles right there, they can have their table. We'll have our table. That peer pressure that we talk about maybe with you know, high school students, it, it doesn't go away when we get older. Peter said, well, as, as long as they're here, these buddies of mine, well, you know, I'll, eat, I'll eat with the Jews. And, and maybe he was even thinking, well, when they go back home, I'll eat with the Gentiles again. But Paul said, don't you dare. Because what you've just done, Peter, is you have diminished Jesus and the gospel of Jesus. Because what you've done is you've made it clear by your actions Jesus isn't good enough for you. You need Jesus and. Gentiles, Jesus isn't good enough for you. In order to join our table, you need Jesus and being a Jew, being circumcised, following Jewish customs, Jewish rituals. You can have your little table over there, but these are the real spiritual people. And if you want to join our club, well, Jesus was a good start. But you need and. Basically saying, Jesus isn't good enough for you. So Paul's response is, Peter, Jesus isn't good enough for them. He's not good enough for you either. If, Je if, if Jesus cannot wholly save the Gentiles, then the Jews are in trouble too. Because either Jesus is the Savior or he's not. There's a phrase I heard a preacher once say, and I don't, I don't even remember what preacher it was or Bible class or what the setting was, but it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. He said, there are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Either Jesus has saved us all, approved of us all, made us all holy and perfect and righteous by His blood. Either, either His blood can save us all or it can't save any of us. So we're all on the same footing. 
And it hit me kind of hard because sometimes I look out in our congregations. I look at the people I'm more prone to hang out with or be around or give my approval. The title of this lesson is actually Jesus and Approval. We, people's approval, particular groups' approval. Now, you need Jesus, but you also need our approval. And that's sometimes how church works. Well, you can come in, you can sit down, but in order to truly be a part of this community, you have to look like us, act like us, talk like us, live like us. You need not just Jesus' approval and Jesus' salvation. Uh, we're going to withhold ours until we're certain that you're up to par. You're up to our standards. I've seen that in churches. And it's, well, that's just a small human thing that, yeah, it comes in. And we should do a little bit better, but eh, it's just the way things are sometimes. What are you going to do? Well, it actually undermines our very salvation. It takes the salvation of Jesus and it cuts it off at the knees. Because we tell them, you need Jesus and. And what are some of the ends that we have today? I mean... The big issue for so much of, well, book of Galatians, but the entire New Testament is these Jewish expectations, this Jewish approval. And obviously the Jews themselves in Jerusalem, those with power like the Sanhedrin, the officials, the Pharisees, Sadducees, they didn't approve of Jesus himself. So <laughs> it's kind of ironic that the church struggled with this. Why would we want their approval? They didn't approve of our Lord. Let's just rest in our Lord. And there were many Jews in the early church. Again, the early apostles themselves. Jesus himself. But as far as the Jews that looked down on others, the Jews that everybody else wasn't quite good enough, said that has no place in the kingdom of God. No place under King Jesus. Because Jesus is all we need. So those are the issues back then. What are our issues now? Well, we're going to get into that <laughs> next couple of weeks. But I'll say this for now. Sometimes in order to gain our approval, a church's approval, church members' approval, whatever, we have certain expectations. And some of those expectations might be a standard of living. We almost, I think, sometimes see poverty as a sin. And the way that we try to do benevolence work, well, let's lift them out of their poverty. And that's not a bad thing, to want to be a blessing to people's life, to help them improve their life situation. That can be a good thing. But to say, well, to have that expectation kind of hanging over their heads, that you know, all these other successful you know, people in church, they've got their lives together and feeling that pressure. We should try very hard to not let poverty keep people away from Christ. Because it's not Jesus and 2.5 kids, white picket fence, two-car garage, your middle-class status, not in the least. Poverty is not a sin. Not being great with money does not make one less valuable to God. 
Maybe we can help, encourage, offer assistance. But Jesus is enough for them. And we need to let Jesus be enough for them. Because then Jesus can be enough for me. And this goes to people of whole different politics than we do. We kind of have an assumption of, well, and sometimes that comes through the pulpit and the preacher, and I try hard not to do that, but well, in order to truly be a part of the in-group, of the actual church, you need to hold certain political views. And we'll convert you. When we expect you to hold those political views that we would share. They don't need our political views. They can have vastly different political views that we maybe don't like, but you know what? It's okay. Why? Because they have Jesus. And they don't need our political views for salvation. And I have Jesus, and I don't need my political views for salvation. I've kind of backed off over the years on my political views. It's like, you know what? They don't make me who I am. They don't give me the hope of my future. And whatever side of the political spectrum you may be on, I'll say this. Be careful that you do not get the hope of your future from that, because it will disappoint. But this will not. Jesus will not. And even styles of worship. Well, that church across town or the other town down the road, they don't quite do things the right way. They do this little thing, that thing, and don't know about them. They don't meet our approval. They don't need to try to meet our approval, and we don't need to try to meet theirs. Romans chapter 14, starting in verse 3, he's talking about eating and drinking, the very thing that got Peter in trouble back in Galatians chapter 2. What you eat, who you eat with. Verse 3, the one who eats everything must not despise the one who does not eat. And the one who abstains must not judge the one who eats everything. You eat differently, don't judge each other for it. And it's not just different taste here, it's whether they eat food sacrificed to idols which was for some big deal. Whether they eat certain kinds of food, like the well-known Jewish prohibition against pork. Well, some of these Jewish Gentile Christians like bacon every now and then, like I do. Well, Jews didn't like that. Then the Jews didn't like that they didn't like that. Or the Gentiles didn't like that they didn't like that. And, and so he's creating these divisions. Paul says in Romans... Don't let food divide you guys. It's not that important. But here he says, do not judge them for what they do. Kind of worry about yourself. And that's what he says in verse 4. Who are you? Hmm. Who are you? Who are you to pass judgment on another servant? Before his own master, he stands or falls, and he will stand. Why? Because... Jesus makes him stand. Jesus is all he needs. Jesus is his master. The Lord is able to make him stand. I don't get to judge the servant of another master. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to please me. He doesn't have to live up to me. 
and I don't have to worry about the judgment or the approval of someone else. I just have to worry about the approval to my master. And my master is Jesus. And I live, I, we need to live as a church, as the community of Christ, trusting wholly in his power to save and to have no ands. No ands.